Good morning. We are grateful that you're here, and I am grateful to have the opportunity to share from God's Word as Pastor Craig and his family are away. I know that they would greatly appreciate your prayers for them. Uh, I think they are sitting on I-75 somewhere uh, right now, Uh, but uh, we do pray for safe travels for them. But uh, do not fear. He will be back next Sunday for uh, Palm Sunday and will continue his sermon series uh, from uh, the Miracles of Jesus, and uh, we have enjoyed that sermon series immensely and look forward to him continuing that. And then, uh, just in case you have missed it, Easter is only two Sundays away, and uh, we will be having three services on Easter. Uh, We will not be having Sunday school. We'll have three services, uh, and so we'll have uh, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and and 11, and we will be here in the sanctuary for all three of those. So we are excited about that and looking forward to a great time celebrating our risen Savior uh, on Easter Sunday. Uh, This morning, I hope you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you'll take them and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, I've simply titled this message, The Fall of Saul. Uh, The Old Testament... Uh, account that we're going to look at this morning uh, has immense depth to it, has immense personal application for each person that is here in this house and for each of you who are watching online, whether you are uh, in a car headed to spring break or whether you're in your home worshiping with us uh, or wherever you are, we are thankful that you're with us uh, and we pray that uh, this uh, time of worship finds you well. Uh, We are so thankful that you're a part of Ivy Creek, and we're grateful uh, that you are a part of our worship time this morning. But we believe that this passage of Scripture has a a very important message for each of us. Uh, Frankly, this is a story that is quite riveting as uh, you read it, and as you look into it, and as you dig into it even more, uh, it is immensely challenging, and uh, we are going to look at this. We're looking, uh, looking forward to that time. Uh, I do want to, before we start, there are a couple points in this uh, passage and in other passages similar to it that are tripping points for folks, and it has been that way for centuries, and I do not want that to be the case for us. I, I want us to be very con- conscious of that. I want us to be very cautious of that also because there are some sticky elements within this passage. Uh, We're not going to have time to unpack all of those. There's 35 verses here, and we are going to read all of those, uh, but uh, we're not going to have time to look at each of those sticky elements in the greatest of detail, but... I ask you, and it is my prayer that you have asked the Lord and will ask the Lord to help you to accept certain things as non-negotiables. And it's very important when we come to certain passages in Scripture that we understand certain non-negotiables of faith when we look at certain passages, because if not, then we do get tripped up by certain 
lessons and by certain events, especially when we are looking at uh, narrative passages from the Old Testament. One of those non-negotiables is that our Lord is holy and just in all of His commands and His dealings. Next is that our Lord is completely and totally sovereign, all-knowing and unchanging. He knows the end from the beginning and everything in between. So if we have those lens, when we look at a passage like this, it will help us that we don't stumble over some of the challenging details. So this morning, with that lens, we're going to dive into the 35 verses that are before us. So I hope you have your Bible, and I hope that as we, you will follow along as I read. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Talam, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Haval and all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And, I, and it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around and by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed 
are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul said to him, Speak on. And Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, the people took of the plunder sheep and oxen and the best of the things which should have utterly been destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, Samuel said, the Lord has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, 
I have sinned, yet honor me, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously and Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said to him, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, your word is truth. Your word is hope and life. Your word is that which we need. And Father, we need to know, we need to understand, we need to hear and to heed the word of the Lord today. Father, I pray that for us as Ivy Creek. Father, as your church and your people. Father, I pray for obedient hearts. Father, I pray for boldness to respond in obedience to your word. Father, I pray for your favor to remain on your people. And Father, I pray you would protect us from anything that would remove us from being in the path of your favor and of your will. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we walk through this passage over the next couple of minutes, it is my prayer that we learn from the experiences of Saul and Samuel. To help us do that, Pastor Craig often refers to his points as hooks. And we've got six hooks today that we are going to use to help us guide our conversation as we walk through this passage. I believe that we see that there are six deficiencies in the life of Saul that lead to his fall. The first deficiency, we see it in verses 1 through 6, is a lack of hearing or a lack of heeding the voice of the Lord. In verse 1, Samuel hits the key point of this entire passage when he says, Now therefore... Heed or listen to the voice of the Lord and the words of the Lord. At least eight times in chapter 15, the Hebrew word sema is used to communicate listen, hear, heed, or obey. It's worth noting that hearing and heeding are not always the same thing. Just like I am told by my wife occasionally that hearing and listening are not exactly the same thing. 
There are times when she will ask me, are you listening to me? And I will respond, I heard you. She needs more than I heard you. She needs to know that I listened and that I heard her and that I heeded what she was saying. Well, I'm reminded of many years ago when we had small children in our house. One of our children would sometimes uh, need my attention and would crawl up in my lap. And I remember her on a number of occasions saying, Daddy, are you listening? And I'd be distracted by usually reading something or watching something. And she would crawl up and get her hands and put them around my face and would say, Listen to me, Daddy. Well, here, in this passage, that's the picture that we have of Samuel with King Saul, of him coming to him and saying, listen to me. Do not miss what the Lord is commanding you to do. But unfortunately, King Saul has a deficiency, and it's a lack of hearing and a lack of heeding. The next hook on your outline, King Saul's fall was preceded by a lack of obedience. Verses 7 through 9, communicate this to us and show this to us and describe it. Uh, one commentator, when referring to this passage, uh, asked this question. This is quite sobering, but he said, Is 90% obedience enough? Well, in school, I was always thrilled if there was 90% of anything. That, that was a good thing. But 90% obedience, is that enough? Again, when, when we had young children, we, we often used a phrase, and I'm certain that they got tired of hearing it, but it's a true phrase for children, but it's a true phrase for you and I today, and it was the statement that partial obedience is disobedience. A lack of obedience is disobedience. Saul's disobedience, we see, is a slow fade, just as it is for you and myself, and it is for the person sitting on either side of you. Our disobedience is a slow fade. No one sets out to wreck their marriage, their family, their career, their future, with addictions, lust, pornography, abuse, an affair, or a number of other sins that begin with small acts of disobedience. But those small acts of disobedience begin the slow slide down a mountain that ends in a destructive avalanche. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, two chapters prior to this, we see that slow fade. Saul got off to a great start. I mean, the description we have of Saul was that he was 
tall and above all the rest. He was good looking and strong. He had everything about the looks of a tremendous leader. But here when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 13, we see the first hint that there's a character flaw in his life. He's in Gilgal. He's there waiting to do battle with the Philistines and he is to wait for seven days for the prophet Samuel to show up to offer a sacrifice. So he waits the seven days and Samuel's late. The people begin to rumble and complain. Why are we out here? Why are we having to wait? Let's go. We're ready to go. Saul's fearful. He's a fearful leader. He's afraid of the people that he leads. And as a result of that, he wrongly assumes the role of priest and offers the sacrifice. And it is that time. The smoke is not gone up and the prophet Samuel arrives. Samuel says, what's going on? Well, you were late getting here. I waited seven days on you. It was not Saul's place to offer the sacrifice. It was the prophet's place to do that and, and the priest's place. But he assumed that role wrongly because he was a fearful leader. It's the first hint, that slow fade of his cheek in his armor and flaw in his character. You and I must purpose in our hearts to love obedience more than we love our sin. Saul's fall was preceded by a lack of hearing and a lack of obedience, which then leads to a lack of respect and reverence. That's the next hook on your outline is a lack of respect or reverence. One commentator used this to describe sin. said, sin is not. Sin is not a thing to be trifled with. Sin is not a thing to be taken lightly or to play around with. Disobedience is sin and it is serious business to God. And we see that throughout this passage as God deals with the sin of the Malachites, but also as God pronounces judgment on Saul and as he loses his kingdom as a result of his disobedience. In verse 10 through 12, Samuel hears the word of the Lord. I greatly regret that I have made Saul king. He has not done what I commanded him. This word from God grieved Samuel. He stays up all night crying out and praying to the Lord. When morning comes, he heads out early to find Saul, only to learn that Saul has gone to Carmel and set up a monument to himself, which is prideful and arrogant at best and idolatry at worst. When Samuel catches up with Saul 
and the people of Israel, they are at Gilgal planning to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. The lack of reverence and respect of the Lord and His commands is a tremendous deficiency in the life of Saul. But the deafness of Saul's spirit that we read of in verses 13 through 24 is shocking and alarming. It brings us to that next hook on your outline is a lack of discernment. A lack of discernment. Saul seems blissfully arrogant and arrogant. I do not know that there is a more horrible or dangerous combination to be ignorant and arrogant. As Samuel approaches Saul, Saul says, Blessed are you, uh, are you of the Lord. I have done just as the Lord commanded. I've done all that was commanded of me. And Samuel calls the king out. What then is the bleeding of sheep that is in my ears and this lowing of oxen in that I hear? Saul switches and realizes that he is exposed and he is found out. So he does the same as Eve did in the garden. He says, it's their fault. It's those people that I have to lead, that, I, that you gave me, that I got to lead. It's their fault. He begins that blame game. Every one of us have done it. We succumb to that. When we are found out and our deficiencies are exposed, we start looking for whose fault is it? It can't be my fault, so it must be somebody else's. And that's what Saul does. He says, they, the people of Israel, brought them from the Amalekites so that they could sacrifice the sheep and the oxen to the Lord. But we utterly destroyed all the rest. We did what we were supposed to do, but they didn't. Samuel's lack of sleep, his grief and sheer anger boil over in the beginning of verse 16. And he says, be quiet. I think the correct Hebrew Translation here is actually shut up, but we don't say that at our house. So, uh, you know, uh, but it communicates the point and the intensity of the prophet towards King Saul. The prophet exclaims, I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Saul sheepishly tells him to speak on. Samuel says, there was a day. There was a day when you were little in your own eyes. There was a day when you were humble. You were not the king, but the Lord anointed you king of Israel. Now he sent you on a mission and you have not obeyed his voice and you have done evil. In the sight of the Lord. Samuel's condemnation of Saul's actions leads Saul to defend his actions and to continue blaming the people for the plunder and the looting. 
Samuel explodes. He's had enough, and he pronounces the judgment of God on Saul. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord also has rejected you from being king. Saul's response to this frank, candid pronouncement of judgment in verse 24 is a level of repentance. But even in his repentance, we see that there is a lack. His repentance is lacking. A lack of repentance or a repentance that is, that is lacking because it was a superficial repentance. King Saul says, I have sinned and transgressed the command of the Lord. I feared the people and obeyed their voice instead of the Lord's voice. But Samuel continued to pronounce the pronouncement of judgment on Saul and refused to return with Saul Then Samuel exclaims, the Lord has rejected you as king. And he turns to leave. But Saul grabs the edge of his robe and it tears. Samuel says, the Lord has torn the kingdom from you today. Saul again repents for a second time in verse 30. And Samuel agrees to stay and to worship the Lord with Saul. But we see that Saul's motives were superficial and self-serving at best. I'm reminded of the lyrics of an old gospel song which says, Sin will take you farther than you had planned to go and keep you longer than you had intended to stay and cost you more than you wanted to pay. Saul's sins cost him his kingship. The price of disobedience is extremely high. And we must acknowledge that today. The final hook on your outline illustrates the lack of depth to Saul's words of repentance. This is a lack of resolve. A lack of putting steps into action. There is no action to Saul's repentance. He stands by while the prophet Samuel demands that King Agag be brought before him where the prophet pronounces the judgment and sentencing and also has to act as the executioner also. While King Saul stands by and does nothing, Samuel had to do what Saul was unwilling to do in obedience to the Lord. The life of Saul is a life that is lacking. It's lacking in hearing. 
obedience, respect, discernment, repentance, and resolve towards the Lord and His commandments and instructions. Therefore, we come to our sermon in a sentence. Now, normally, when Pastor Craig gets to his sermon in a sentence, we're really close to finishing up. And we are, but I want you to stay with me. There's some very important applications that I want us to see as we close this morning. Sermon in a sentence is the fall of Saul should be a warning sign to all that the Lord demands obedience and wants our lives to be living sacrifices which emulate the life of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Lord has been and will always be looking for living sacrifices. Lives that are laid down on the altar and say, Lord, use me. Do with me as you desire. I want to walk in obedience to you. I want to follow your call, your desire on my life. I want to be obedient to you with my whole heart, not just with lip service, our token half-hearted obedience. It is not enough, my friends, for us to come into this great place, and it is a great place to come and worship. As my friend Todd Bevel says, it's a great time to be a part of Ivy Creek Baptist Church, and it is. But it is not enough to come into this place and just come in with a song on our lips, to come in with a sacrifice of praise and for a sacrifice of a prayer or to come in with even a monetary gift of sacrifice. It is not enough. The Lord demands and deserves our obedience. Are we hearing, heeding, and obeying the voice of the Lord as we prepare to respond to the message, to the word of the Lord? I want you to ask this question. Where do you go from here? What does this message mean for you? Elizabeth Elliot, great missionary, served faithfully under some of the most difficult circumstances and conditions, is credited with saying, faith is not a feeling. Faith is willed obedience in action. Willed obedience in action is faith. What action do you need to take today to be obedient to the Lord? For some of you today, you're here in this room or you're watching online or listening online, and you need to take that first step of obedience, of surrendering your heart, of saying, I don't understand it all, but I'm going to trust the Lord. I want the Lord to be my Savior be my redeemer. I may not understand all of it, but I trust him that he is good 
and that he has good for me, and I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For some of you, that's that first step of obedience today that you need to take. Not a better time to do that than this morning. For some, you've made that step of of faith, accepting Christ, but for whatever reason, you've never followed through with baptism. You never have, have made that a public profession of your faith before you a church family of any kind. I challenge you to take that step of obedience that you can walk in obedience before the Lord. Some of you, you've been worshiping here and it's a great place to worship and you've met new friends here and you've been coming. But you know that the Lord desires for, for you to do more. Desires for you to make it official and to say, this is my people. This is the people that I want to join hands with and I want to serve alongside of. And I want to be a part of Ivy Creek Baptist Church officially and do that. And you need to take that step of setting up an appointment with one of us pastors to sit down and to ask questions and to chat for a bit of time just to learn more about Ivy Creek and to explore becoming a member at Ivy Creek. That's the next step that you need to take because obedience, obedience is faith in action. You know, for some of you, You've been a faithful follower of the Lord. But even for you, there are those areas. I'm not a prophet. I don't see into the hearts of men. But the Lord does. And I trust His Spirit to reveal to my heart and to your heart those areas that we need to move in, that we need to adjust, that we need to walk in obedience. For some of us, it's areas in our family. It's in relationships. For some of us, it's in areas of our finance. It's in areas that we need to trust the Lord, that He is more than able to provide and care for us. And it may even be that for the first time, in your life that you say, I trust the Lord to give consistently, to tithe. I trust the Lord to do above that. I I trust the Lord to, to be a part of the capital campaign. I don't know what it is for you, but I want you and desire for you to be willing to listen to the Lord this morning. And then to have the boldness and the courage to respond to that in faith and confidence that God will do what He says that He will do in His Word. And when we respond in faith and obedience, that God honors that, that it's pleasing to Him, and that it places us in a place to where we can experience His 
blessings in his favor because that is the truth of God's word. And that is what we see throughout Scripture. But we also see in the passage that we have looked at today the other harsh reality of disobedience. If we choose to rebel against the word of the Lord, we will stand in direct judgment of the Lord. And His judgment will be pronounced on our lives. That is a sobering reality that we must wrestle with this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that Your Spirit by its amazing and great power, would use the words that have been shared as inadequate as they are, would use them to challenge us where we are. And Father, that we would respond and obey and not delay in that, but Father, that we would find great joy in trusting you, that you are sufficient in every way. Father, I pray for in this room for courage to obey and to respond as you are calling and drawing by your Spirit. And then also, Father, for those who are watching online, Father, I thank you for them and I pray that you would work in their hearts where they are, Father, to do good work in them. And Father, that they too would humbly respond to your voice in their life. Father, we trust you to do that work. Father, you are faithful and good. And Father, we exalt you in this place. Amen.